All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of Triple G, Ginger's Gridiron and Golf Podcast. We've got another great episode this week full of two more NFL guests from the NFC North and the NFC East. And we'll finish it up after break talking our weekly golf update with Dutch back again for another week. So we're focusing in this week on the draft of the NFC North and the NFC East teams. And we'll talk after break a little Ryder Cup, Valspar, and Wells Fargo with Dutch in the world of golf and what's happening. And, of course, the victory by our Canadian, Mike Weir, back in the winner's circle. So, well done. Before we drive in, dive right into the NFL draft, let's get into some of the fifth-year options that were um, picked up this week. Monday, May 5th, 4 p.m. was the deadline. And pretty standard across the board. Calvin Ridley, some of the big names, wide receivers were picked up. The big four quarterbacks from the 2018 draft, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield, and Sam Darnold was picked up. You knew that was going to happen once Carolina took J.C. Horn with that uh, with that eight overall, overall pick. Steelers picking up Minka Fitzpatrick, and the Chargers back from injury are going to stick with Derwin James, who's a nice little um, addition after being um, out with a torn ACL in 2020, back for 2021. Some of the big names not picked up, and we'll get into one of them um, with our guest Kevin Turner from the Dallas Cowboys, and that is Leighton Van Der Esch. Um, talks of a possible extension, talks of maybe too many injuries, um, not available enough on game day, so that'll be interesting to see what the Cowboys do with Leighton Van Der Esch, if they can tie him up long term or um, he moves on to a, a different ball club. Terrell Edmonds. Um, Tremaine Edmonds got picked up from the Buffalo Bills. The brother on the Pittsburgh Steelers, Terrell, playing safety position, did not get picked up. No surprise there as the Steelers um, stick with Minka Fitzpatrick and the big-time playmaker. Just not enough plays made there by Terrell on the other side. Hayden Hurst, no surprise with Atlanta Falcons, taking Kyle Pitts with the fourth, fourth overall pick, that they did not pick up uh, the fifth-year option on Hayden Hurst. And Sony Michelle, the New England Patriots, did not get picked up. The uh, The Patriots did pick up Isaiah Wynn um, up until 2022, the uh, versatile offensive lineman there, but they pass on Sony Michelle. No surprise, running back position. Um, just not going to go ahead. They, the uh, the Patriots did draft a running back, a big bruiser, I believe, in the third round of this year's draft. So no surprise there in terms of uh, the Patriots not picking up Michelle, Sony Michelle. Let's move on now to the NFL draft. 6.1 million viewers in 2021, the third most watched draft all time. Um, obviously, the COVID draft of 2020 had 8.3 million viewers, so no surprise there. And uh, a close third to the 2019 NFL draft was 6.2. So back on track for the NFL in terms of uh, uh, draft numbers and viewers. And something that a lot of leagues can pick up and adopt on is how the NFL runs their draft. Three days, big first night, um, tons going on live in the city 
Um, absolutely great. I watched the draft almost. I got through about four and a half, five rounds, um, and then I uh, then I had to continue to follow online. But tons of coverage, over 20 hours worth of coverage um, across the board on all of the big networks. So if you were following along, a great way to follow along to the, with the NFL draft. Um, it was absolutely amazing Thursday through Saturday. A couple big things um, that I want to talk about here uh, in, in terms of the NFL draft and big picture. The first being, um, how different was it? Night one starts with seven straight offensive players being drafted. Um, only one, I believe, defensive player inside the top ten. And night two ends with seven straight defensive players being drafted to end round three. So in terms of high-end talent, not a lot of high-end talent on the offensive side of the ball. I think these teams wanted to go out and ensure that they got a portion or a piece or pieces of that high-end talent um, on the offensive side of the ball night one. Night two, the meat and potatoes of this draft was on defense in terms of pass rush and defensive tackle, and I'll get into the numbers here, but uh, and corner. That's where night two in rounds two and three, we've seen a lot of the meat and potatoes go uh, in terms of the draft. But just the draft, the draft in general, um, hey, it's important. It not only is important to uh, what teams do on night one and the big sexy pickups, you know, the Justin Fields and the Mac Jones and the Rayshon Slaters and the, you know, Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell and Jamar Chase and, and Trey Lance and, and all the big name quarterbacks, Trevor Lawrence. It's, it's important on night one, but it's also important on night two and night three. Hey, you look at it round one, uh, 2020, the draft picks from round one played 416 games in 2020. Round two played 390 games. Round three played 458 games. So the the round three draft picks from 2020 actually got on the football field more times than the round one picks did. I know it's a small sample size with one draft, but you're looking at over a five-year draft, rounds four through seven, 44% of those picks are active on game day for more than eight games. Folks, I tell people this all the time. It's fun to follow around, follow along on night one, but championship teams, winning football teams, are built in rounds three through seven, especially in the salary cap era. It is ultra important to find these steals, to find these capable players that are a scheme fit for you, that you feel you can coach up, that can offer your team something because with injuries, players moving on with the salary cap, these players are going to find the football field. They're going to find their way onto that field. And it's uh, ultra important to uh, to find these players and get them acclimated and get them in there right away. Hey, the last 20 drafts, 4,612 players drafted over the last 19 drafts. I did the homework on this. 61% of their careers lasted less than five years. Okay, so it's important to find those guys, get them acclimated, and get them in your lineup. And it's important in round one to not miss. Hey, 93% of the round one draft picks have a career of more than five years. So it's important that you hit in round one 
with your with your guy, and then you acclimate in round two, find those players, and kind of really get them into your squad because they are going to find a way onto the football field for you. 2021 draft. Let's look at it specifically now, folks. Um, it was the little man, big man draft. That's the way I look at it. That's what I got on my notes. Uh, we look at the big man first. Hey, 36 offensive linemen taken total out of the 256 picks, 17 tackles, 11 guards, and eight centers across the board taken, and 44 defensive linemen taken, 20 um, defensive ends or what we call edge um, pass rushers, and 20 D tackles, interior defensive linemen on the inside, and uh, hey, 30 linebackers as well, 17 interior linebackers, and 13 outside linebackers. So, when you add these numbers up, you're well up over 100 out of the 256 picks are happening with guys in the front seven on the offensive line or the defensive line or at the linebacker position. Hey, there's a, some positions that uh, were that surprised me that are continuing to be phased out. We had one fullback, so the fullback position is again becoming obsolete in the in the NFL nowadays. One long slap snapper, one kicker, one punter. A spot that we we knew that this position was was uh, you know lower in talent or not as deep as in other drafts, and that's tight ends. Only five uh, tight ends taken in the first three rounds. You look at it, tight ends a spot that that every team knows could be a potential mismatch, and every team wants to go out and get that mismatch tight end. Just wasn't available in this draft. 11 taken overall, like I said, five in the first three rounds. So really not um, a big, heavy-laden tight end draft. We did have some records set, one being at the quarterback position. Highest ever, eight quarterbacks taken in the first three rounds, 10 overall. Absolutely ultra-important, and you can see these teams are now starting to take swings, starting to throw haymakers to go out and try to find their quarterback position. And the small man, the small man, the little man, big man, the little man was found at the wide receiver position in the late rounds, rounds four through seven, 36 wide receivers taken overall. A bunch of, I believe, almost 20 of those were 5'10 or less. So that slot wide receiver was huge. And lastly, talking about the draft, it is the power schools over and over again. Uh, I reached out to Dutch after uh, after Friday night. Round three was done. 91 out of the top 105 picks came from the Power Five conferences, SEC, ACC, Big Ten, Pac-12, and Big 12. Uh, 65 total players drafted out of the SEC. Absolutely incredible. And 79 out of 256 picks came from 10 schools. Those 10 schools, Bama, Ohio State, Georgia, Notre Dame, Florida, Michigan, LSU, Penn State, Kentucky, and Pitt. So absolutely incredible uh, in terms of the numbers that we saw from the 2021 NFL Draft. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Let's get into our first division. Let's break down the NFC North. And before we go anywhere else, let's switch it over. Let's bring on our first guest. Folks, I hope you enjoy our interview with Daniel Greenberg. All right, listeners. Let's welcome to the show from Fan Sided, covers everything Chicago, including the Red Stars, the Wolves, the Hawks, the Bulls, and why we've got him on the show today, the Chicago Bears, the king of the Chicago sports update, 
Mr. Daniel Greenberg. Daniel, you on the line with us? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, it was great, uh, great to have you aboard here. Thanks, thanks for your time, Daniel. Let's uh, let's get right into an exciting time for uh, for those Chicago Bears. Um, a big draft, big first two rounds. But let's start specifically with the first round and the big trade up. Um, how important? Got a couple questions here on on Justin Field and and, and the Bears. First question being, how important was it to jump up over Minnesota, who's reported to uh, have had their eye on on Fields at 14? And number two, what does this mean for the roster in terms of uh, Andy Dalton, his spot? Is Justin Fields going to be the starter right off the hop? What are your What are your thoughts? Yeah, so going into this draft, um, Bears fans, you know, the Bears organization, basically everyone in Chicago knew that we got to get a, a quarterback. I mean, you can't go into a season with Andy Dalton and Nick Foles. Um, so you have to get a quarterback in this draft. So for them to trade up and reportedly with the Minnesota Vikings, they were eyeing Justin Fields. It's huge. It, Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy, they knew their job is on the line and they got to make moves. So they traded up. They got the quarterback that they believe in. And, you know, it just brings hope to the city, hope to Bears fans that, we finally got a quarterback for our future, a quarterback that not only does the organization believe in, but people that cover um, college football and Bears fans in general. So it's huge because if they didn't trade up, you never know, especially with the Vikings. We don't want to, they're in our division and we don't want to see Justin Fields uh, wearing a Vikings jersey. So it was huge for the Chicago Bears to trade up and get him. Um, and what does this mean for Andy Dolan, Nick Foles? I do believe that Andy Dolan will be the week one starter, but I don't think by the end of the season he will be the starter. I think Justin Fields, his talent, is, it's just crazy um, what he does on the field that not only will the coaches recognize it, but also the locker room, the players, everyone will recognize like, yo, this guy, he is for real. And we got to like star him we can't waste any any uh game so i think probably by the middle of the season he will be a starter do you think in terms of 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 naggy and and his creativity we you know we saw that in year one with with his term in chicago and and how creative he was and 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 making it to the playoffs do you think with fields now that that was part of the allure for naggy um, and Pace to be able to jump up there and get that because they felt that they could be themselves and be a little bit more creative than having to kind of be that pocket passer with Andy Dalton and, and Nick Foles. Do you think that was part of the allure? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so with Nick Foles and Andy Dalton, they're stationary quarterbacks. They don't really run that much, only if like they really have to, if a defender is like coming at them. Um, with Justin Fields, he's also a threat when he runs. So that opens up the playbook for Matt Nagy, which Matt Nagy loves, like, bootleg, um, getting the quarterback out of the pocket, and just make, making sure that the quarterback is a threat wherever he is, outside the pocket. Um, with Nick Foles and Andy Dolan, they're in the pocket a lot. They, they don't run a lot. So it's very easy for the defense to know what they're doing. So that, I would say, for, that is Justin Fields and Matt Nagy. That's how they like to uh, offense. Like that's their type of offense. That's their formations. Gotcha. Um, let's let's take a look at at the rest of this draft here, and and as we start to go down, and and what it means for potentially what happened yesterday and moving forward. You know, you, you get into round two, and and you take 
with the number 39 overall pick, uh, Tevin Jenkins tackle at Oklahoma State. You know, it, it, and now yesterday you cut Charles Leno. Bobby Massey's on the way out. You know, you make it to round five. Obviously, with the trade-up, you lost, um, you know, rounds three and four there. But you take a Larry Barham from, uh, from Missouri guard slash tackle, 6'5", 322 pounds. Um, how did how did the rest of the draft shape up for Chicago? Was it just as exciting as Fields? You know, nationally they're getting great coverage for for their draft. Uh, break down what you thought of the rest of the draft. You know, rounds two and five, six, seven. Yeah. So out of this draft class, uh, Tevin Jenkins, I would be shocked if he's not the week one starter um, for the for the Bears, especially left tackle, and especially after they cut Charles Leno Jr. Um, Tevin Jenkins will be the starter. Um, so I think this guy is what the Chicago Bears need. He's a nasty guy. Um, he's a guy that on the offensive line, if you hit the quarterback late, he will be people um, that will make sure that it d- never happens again. Um, he's a feisty guy. He finishes his blocks. He finishes everything. So he's a. Gr- I think this guy is going to be a really good player for the Bears. Um, and then Larry... I think Larry, um, the other offensive lineman, I think he's a sleeper on the Bears. Um, I think he's a player that I actually talked to the quarterback from Missouri, and he told me that this guy does not make any mistakes. He is a very solid player. Um, he does all the little things. He stays after practices. Um, he does everything that the coaches ask him to do, and he's very reliable. So I think that's two good offensive linemen that the Bears drafted in this draft. And the other players with Khalil and with Khalil, the running back, um, I think he's a really good running back. And I think he'll be more of a, he'll start off as like a kick returner and punt returner. And then they'll get him into the running back position. And even wide receiver with Matt Nagy, you know, all the formations that he does on offense. um, I think they'll definitely use him, especially for his speed. Um, I, I thought that, they could have drafted a linebacker, um, especially at the depth at the linebacking position um, with Danny Trevathan kind of at that age. He's getting old. Um, Dan, and then you got Roquan Smith, and you don't really have a lot of depth in that position. So um, I wish they drafted a linebacker, but they did sign a couple of players for, um, after. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in that position. Um, but they didn't really dr- draft a lot of defensive players. Um, they drafted the corner. Um, he's a guy that has a lot of confidence in himself, and he believes he could be a steal in the draft. So um, they got a lot of guys who have a lot of stuff, like a chip to prove, um, and they're coming in to, they're trying to win, and they're trying to do everything they can to help the team win. Uh, that's good. That's great breakdown there um, in terms of what they what they did in the draft. What do you see, uh, Daniel, as, as, you know, potential moving forward as some still some holes to fill. I know you mentioned linebacker there, and I, I know you, you brought up the wide receiver out of UNC, Daz Newsome. Um, do you still think they're looking for that number two wide receiver, you know, a veteran guy that could potentially come in and, and, and start opposite Allen Robinson, who's on that franchise tag? Do you think that's a potential hole? And what else do you just see that they're, they're going to try to fill here uh, before they get to camp? Yeah, so with the salary cap, not just with the Bears, but league-wide, um, a lot of teams are very, like, they need to cut players in order to sign their draft class and and, and all, also to, like, stay in that salary cap. So I do believe in the next couple of weeks you're going to see some players that 
will be released. So you're like, oh, like this player is a good player. Like the Bears should definitely sign him. Um, I know Ryan Pace at the um, after the the NFL draft um, when he recapped the class, he did say that they're keeping a very close eye on players that are currently available and then players that they believe will be available in the next coming weeks. So I definitely think that there is more sign um, that the Bears will sign more players. Um, they're definitely not done. Um, I think players that are currently on the roster, um, there are some players that I believe that are not safe, and they could be cut also, especially with the salary cap. So I definitely think there's more moves coming. Uh, that's good stuff. Good stuff. We'll have to follow along as we as we move throughout the summer here. A couple questions before we let you go here, Daniel. Um, flat out, it, it, is Matt Nagy on the hot seat here? Is that part of the reason why he goes up and gets a fields to buy himself a couple more years? And what's the temperature like uh, in terms of that hot seat for Nagy? You know, will they be calling for his job if, if this is another missed playoff season um, of missed opportunities and just poor performance? So to answer your question, 100% Matt Nagy's on the hot seat, even after he drafted, uh, they traded up and drafted Justin Fields. The thing is, when, when you are a coach in Chicago, it's different. You're on the hot seat every single season. We don't care what you did last season. But you didn't make the playoffs. Um, you have struggled. All this stuff that's going on with the Chicago Bears, they, could, they haven't been able to find a quarterback. The coach is always on the hot seat. And also, Ryan Pace is also on the hot seat. He's been here for several years already. So you got to show up. And that's why I believe that Justin Fields will be um, a starter at some point during the season because jobs are on the line. Um, and then you got to win. It's all. This is a winning league. It's all about business, and you have to win. You cannot be losing games. Um, so that's why I believe that Fields will be a starter um, at some point during the season because he gives you the best chance of winning games. Amazing. Well, listeners, that's a great feel for uh, for that Chicago draft. What's happening in Chicago? How the fan base feels? Um, Daniel, where can we uh, where can we find you on uh, on social media and all your outlets? Let our listeners know. Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at Shy Sport Updates. Amazing. Good stuff. Uh, appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on. We'll circle back as we get closer uh, to the season. Have you on again to talk uh, some more Bears football. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. A good look there from Daniel inside the 2021 Chicago's Bears draft. Let's continue on in the NFC North, and let's look at those other three teams that are available in that division to look at. And let's start off with the team that everybody was talking about with the seventh overall pick, and they did not trade out. We all thought they would trade out of that seventh overall pick. They hung tough. The board fell to them. And they picked up Panay Suel, franchise left tackle out of Oregon. They were absolutely jacked for it. But when you start to look at the entirety of this Lions draft, you really get the feel, um, and that feel is that West Coast feel. Brad Holmes, new general manager coming over from the Los Angeles Rams, had six picks in the first four rounds, seven picks total, and four out of those seven picks come from the Pac-12 division or conference not surprised close to home where he's done a lot of his scouting over the last two three four years and as he starts to bring some of those scouts over being so close to home they keep that west coast feel with brad holmes coming over and listen 
Um, they take in the second round at a Washington defensive tackle, 6'3", 290 pounds. He's a flash D tackle. Can't always anchor, but does a great job flashing and can get to the passion. That's Levi Ozawaku um, with that pick in the second round. And then they take in the third round, back-to-back D tackle out of North Carolina State, Aleem McNeil. Um, Matt Verderam talked about him on the podcast last week. This guy is a physical, athletic freak. And now you start to build those, those that defensive line and that offensive line, and they're building from the lines out. Hey, you look at the way the Rams did it, dominating offensive and dominating defensive lines in terms of making that Super Bowl run. They take Aleem McNeil. Now you can pair him with Michael Brockers. You've got Romeo Aquaru out on the edge, and you've got those two draft picks there. Trey Flowers is still there as well. You've got bookend pass rushers. You've got some interior defensive line that can push the pocket, hold the pocket, stack that line of scrimmage. You're starting to build now in Detroit. You move to round round number three. They take the kid out of uh, Syracuse. He's the comp pick for for hiring the minority general manager. This is a competitive corner, long, rangy, 6'2", 205 pounds. He can press. You know what? I like it. Good pick up in the third round. And then they go out and get the uh, the speedy, fast gadget guy in uh, Amaron St. Brown. Um, so a good pick up there as well. And then the, the thumper linebacker in round four. So so listen, um, in terms of, I'm not going to give a, give a draft grade here for each individual team. I, I see that much like a mock draft as a futile exercise. Listen. Um, chatted with long, long-time listener, a uh, good friend of mine, Mike Dearlove, uh, off-air. And to sit there with Definity and, and even some of these experts, and hey, I get it, Daniel Jeremiah, great job. Um, 42 out of your top 50 picks went in the top 50 picks overall. You know, bang on, that's 85%. You know exactly what's happening. You know what their players are. You, you've been a, an ex-scout. But to sit there and, and say, you know, he's a B-plus and he's a C-minus and, and he's an A, how do you know how many how many times have we seen picks from the sixth seventh round come up and and be all pro players and and be Pro Bowl players? There's to me it's just an act of futile to sit here and give a draft grade in terms of of what the Lions needed and what they were to me looking to do. I think they did a great job. They found a, a quick twitch uh, wide receiver. They built the Lions um, out at offensive tackle, defensive tackle, grabbed a linebacker. Hey, did I understand the running back pick at uh, at seven at the seventh round? It's the seventh round. If you feel like the kid can uh, can be a game changer potentially long term for you down the road, take a shot at him. So I don't mind that pick as much, but uh, I didn't quite understand the need for it. But hey, you give it a shot. Why not? So overall, I, I like what the Lions did. I think they've uh, they're starting to build, and uh, nothing wrong with their draft. Let's move on to the Minnesota Vikings, Dutch's team, a few other uh, listeners on the show as well. They have the 14th overall pick, and they trade out of it and back after from now what we're hearing. Uh, Justin Fields gets scooped up by what we just talked about with Daniel Greenberg there, the Chicago Bears. So they don't like how the board fell to them. Rayshon Slater goes 13 to the to the uh, Los Angeles Chargers. 
So they trade back. Smart move, accumulate a couple third-round picks. You end up having four picks in the third round, and now you're taking the 23rd overall pick, Christian Derisau, offensive tackle out of Virginia Tech, the number three tackle on most people's boards. He's your franchise tackle now, in my mind, for uh, for years to come. And, hey, you've got Dalvin Cook. you still got Kirk Cousins for, uh, by the looks of it for another couple more years here. So not a bad pick there from the Vikings in uh, in the first round. Their meat and potatoes was what happened after that trade down. Um, a lot of people thought they were going to take a pick or two from that third round and come back up into the second round. It didn't happen. Nine of their 11 picks came in rounds three through five. Four picks in the third, three picks in the in the fourth, two picks in the fifth. So that was the meat and potatoes of their draft. And you know what? They did a good job uh, taking Kellen Mond, tech, QB out of Texas A&M, uh, via the pick from, uh, from the trade up from the Jets with the 66th overall pick. This is a dual-threat quarterback with a big arm that can go make plays. The exact opposite of Kirk Cousins. I like it. He's a bit of a project here, so they can give him time under Cousins to develop, eventually compete, and then possibly maybe take the reins uh, a year or two down the road after Cousins moves on. Um, Chaz Surratt, linebacker out of UNC, uh, former quarterback, 78th overall pick. To me, a little bit of a reach when you when you've got Barr and Kendricks there, but a great spot for him to learn this position. He's new at this position, hasn't played it for a whole lot of years. Why not learn from Anthony Barr and Kendricks in Minnesota? So I'm not too too disgruntled about that pick there at 78. Love the pick at 86. Wyatt Davis, absolute nasty mauler, offensive guard, another pick that they picked up with that uh, trade down with the Jets. Wyatt Davis, guard out of Ohio State. Hey, you've got Ezra Cleveland. You've got some other guys on the interior offensive line. This guy's got a shot to compete in there. I think he's going to be a starter in years to come for the Minnesota Vikings on that interior um, offensive line. Patrick Jones out of pit at uh, the 90th overall pick. Um, Edge rusher. You know what? This guy is going to compete with uh, with Weatherly to start here. I think he's going to have a, a good shot. And and uh, Nino Barikas' boy out of FSU in uh, Janarius Robinson. Both of Patrick Jones and Janarius are going to have a spot as the backup uh, D end and a chance to really compete with Stephen Weatherly on that uh, on that opposite side to Neil Hunter. They're trying to go find that pass rusher. I'm okay with taking the pick in the third and the uh, the fifth there to go and try to find him, or sorry, in the fourth as well, uh, to try to find that pass rusher pass rusher opposite of Daniil Hunter. Cameron Bynan, I like the pick out of California in the fourth round. Uh, you needed help at corner. Listen, you brought back uh, Mackenzie Alexander. You brought in the veteran Patrick Peterson. Mike Hughes looks on the way, like he's on the way out um, in terms of, of lasting long-term here in Minnesota. You went ahead and you got uh, Jeff Gladney and Cameron Cameron, Cameron Dantzler uh, last year with uh, two picks in the draft. Cameron Bynum, why not go get him? Good pick up there. And then to finish off, uh, you you tried to you went out and got some athletic freaks in in Amar Masat uh, or Amar Smith Masat. Um, not a bad pick up there. And Zach Davidson, six seven, two hundred fifty pounds out of Central Mizzou, tight end with the hundred sixty eighth overall pick. Just an athletic freak. 
So overall, once again, same as Detroit. I think uh, I think overall this this division had some real good drafts. I think in terms of weighing out what we're going to see long term, I think Minnesota's actually got the best chance to uh, see some long term starters be transferred over from their draft and develop through the system. Then I would probably go to Ch- Detroit and then Chicago just on the the sheer numbers uh, Chicago with with trading up didn't have a whole lot of picks um, overall six overall picks as compared to Detroit with seven um, we saw Minnesota with 11 in the meat and potatoes and last but not least is are those Green Bay Packers nine picks overall in the uh, 2021 draft and once again after all the hoopla all the rumors all the this and that Aaron Rodgers is still with the Green Bay Packers. And they've got nine picks. They've got an opportunity to try to go up. We've heard about the the rhetoric and the propaganda from in-house Green Bay trying to tell them, hey, we tried to trade up for Je- Justin Jefferson last year. We tried to go get another wide receiver the year before. <clears throat> Nothing seems to pan out. If you want a guy, go get him. Just like the Jets did with Elijah Vera Tucker and the Minnesota uh, and Minnesota, go get your guy. Just like the Bears did at twenty up to eleven. You cannot tell me you're sitting at twenty eight thirty, and you can't find your way up to twenty three to go get Justin Jefferson before Minnesota last year. That's a crock of shit, okay? And I'm not buying it from the Green Bay Packers, and neither is Aaron Rodgers. And you know what? It proof is in the pudding. Um, 29th overall pick, round one, they take a reach with a corner. I get it. Kevin King on a one-year deal. You're trying to find another corner um, besides Jair Alexander, who had his fifth-year option picked up as well. You take Eric Stokes out of Georgia. Feast or famine there. Um, Kid's got potential, but I'm not sure he will be the long-term answer at uh, cornerback two spot for the Green Bay Packers. Then you do what Green Bay always does. Corey Lindsay walks out the door. I like this pick. You take another mauler on the inside. Potential starter with um, E. Jenkins. I like him at guard better. I don't like Ron, uh, John Runyon Jr. Um, I like him as more of a depth interior offensive line piece. But I do like Jenkins at guard and put this kid in. Josh Myers, Ohio State center. Um, I think he's got a chance to be a potential starter and a potential Pro Bowl offensive lineman in Green Bay as they uh, get back David Bakhtiari and Billy Turner from injury, uh, which will be important for them to round out that offensive line. And now we're going A. Rogers to A. Rogers. Amari Rogers um, from Clemson, five foot nine, quick twitch, slot receiver, gadget guy, punt returner. His comp is Christian Kirk in the NFL. Uh, with the 85th overall pick in round three, they finally find a receiver to try to help out Aaron Rodgers. Is it enough? Is it a, is it a number two wide receiver? No, it's not. It's not, folks. Don't kid yourself. This is a slot receiver. Um, very similar to the Randall Cobb type of situation. So this kid's got a potential to be to get balls and and, and be productive on this squad. But I truly don't believe he's exactly what the Green Bay Packers were looking for. And uh, I think they're still looking for it. And they may find it in the veteran free agent market. They may not. 
we will see um, as this plays out with uh, as we move closer to the season what happens with A-Rod 12 in terms of the quarterback position. To round out the uh, the draft, they had uh, a, a couple more picks here. Cole Van Lanen from Wisconsin, another guard. So they're really getting some depth on that interior uh, offensive line. And then they take a kid, 6'4", 330 pounds, nose tackle out of Florida to Daryl Slatton. I love this pick. He is your big man inside to get in behind some of that meat and potatoes that the Green Bay Packers have on that 3-4 defense. Kenny Clark could use a few blows from time to time in terms of limiting his snaps. This kid's got a chance to really make a push and find a little niche here for the Green Bay Packers. I love that pick out of Florida in the fifth round. And that rounds out our uh, our NFC North draft. Uh, like I said, in terms of ranking, I'm not going to give them grades, but I will give it a rank. I love Minnesota, what they did. I got them as number one. I'm going Detroit, number two. I'm not fully sold on Justin Fields and what Chicago did. I thought they took a swing, and I admired them for taking a swing and trading up for two picks and Tevin Jenkins and uh, and Justin Fields, but I'm not sold. I'm not sure it's going to be enough to get Chicago over the top. I'm not sure it's going to be enough to save Matt Nagy's job. And then I'm going the Green Bay Packers. Didn't really like the Stokes pick. I like the Myers pick inside to uh, to beef up that uh, that offensive line and some of the offensive line depth they took a little bit later on. Rodgers in the third round out of the slot. I know it's a slot. Uh, it, it's a little man league now in terms of the slot position and how effective that they can be i.e. Cole Beasley, Christian Kirk and some of this, uh, some of these players that you see out of the slot but I just don't know if it's that big impact player that the Packers are looking for to go opposite Devontae Adams so let's switch over now to the NFC and before, as we always do before we get too far into the NFC East and the Dallas Cowboys and the New York Giants, the Philadelphia Eagles, and the Washington football team. Let's switch over to our interview with Kevin Turner talking Dallas Cowboys 2021 draft, Leighton Vander Esch pickups, and what was on the slate and how did it shape up for Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys. All right, listeners, let's give a Triple G welcome to our Dallas Cowboys expert, newsman for, from Ben and Skin Show on 97.1 The Eagle, also with 105.3, the fan in Dallas, host of About Them po- Cowboys podcast on The Athletic and The Draft Show, Mr. Kevin Turner. Kevin, you're on the line? Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. Well, it's, uh, it's much appreciated you coming on all the way uh, from down in Cowboy land there, and uh, we're excited to have you. So let's get right into it. Um, started with yesterday's news, uh, Kevin. Uh, Leighton Van Der Esch. Uh, not picking up the uh, the fifth year option. What's the thought process there? Are we going to see um, a resigning and a long term deal here, or was it the injuries and just the unavailability on game day when it came down to it that the Cowboys didn't want to take the risk? We know they've locked up Jalen Smith, but what are what are the thoughts there from the Dallas Cowboys? Yeah, you know when they drafted Micah Parsons and in the fourth round they got Jabril Cox, the linebacker from LSU. They were kind of in a situation where they really didn't have to do anything with Leighton, and they can let Leighton's uh, on-field performance and you know actual time on the field determine if he gets a fifth-year option. I mean, he's a guy who had injury history, even when he was drafted coming out of college, and 
it's really been no surprise to me that he hasn't been able to stay on the field very often. Um, he's just been hurt a lot and he's missed some games. So there's really no reason for the Cowboys to lock themselves into a fifth year with Leighton. If Leighton plays well, I would assume he goes and uh, gets market value uh, as a free agent. If he doesn't play well, then I could see him coming back to the Cowboys for cheap. And then if he plays well, but also misses time, Cowboys kind of doing some deal. So, you know, the thing that's bad for field, no one's going to pay him. And that's kind of the big question, and that's the thought process for the Cowboys. Hey, we just drafted two linebackers who we like. Uh, we get ourselves into something, especially when we've paid a lot of guys in Dak and Amari Cooper and Demarcus Lawrence and Zeke and Jalen and go on and on and on. Yeah, that makes that makes total sense. Let's uh, let's dive into uh, into the draft now here, Kevin, and and really get into the the nuts and bolts of this. Uh, were you surprised? I guess off the hop, were you surprised with the trade back, especially with the division rival with the Philadelphia Eagles, or were you under the expectation that Jerry was going to be Jerry and company were going to be patient and just take the board as it came to them and take as many options and leave as many options as open as possible? No, when I walked into uh, the uh, the star on Thursday to do night one of the draft, uh, you know, on the on the Cowboys website, you know, I kind of knew that they would stay at ten if it was Horn, or if it was Patrick Sertan. I think that's yeah. who they really wanted. Those one of those guys, and I think they would have been willing to just sit there. Uh, but they had had conversations with the Eagles. The Eagles had basically guaranteed them. They were working in good faith with Philadelphia that the Eagles would not move up for a cornerback. And once it got there and the cornerbacks were gone, then the Cowboys were like, yeah, let's go to 12. The Eagles had basically told them, if we go up, we're going up for a wide receiver. And the Cowboys could make that deal because the Eagles knew the Cowboys weren't going to take a wide receiver. So, you know, it's uh, working in good faith right there. Not terribly uncommon, especially with teams you know pretty well. You see them twice a year. You talk to them a little more often. So I really wasn't surprised. Kind of knew that the Cowboys – Next option was Micah Parsons. Now, they'll tell you in the press conference he was the number one defensive player on their board, but they would not have taken him first, which is very interesting to me, but that's what would have happened there. So I'm not very, very surprised. You know, I I don't know if Micah Parsons would have been my pick there. I think I actually would have taken Rashawn Slater, but, you know, they liked Rashawn Slater, but I don't think they liked him near as much. And and they were committed to fixing the defense. They were embarrassed by what happened last year. So – uh, it was kind of crazy as things went, went down. I think the most surprising thing, I think, was that Denver took Sertan at nine and left the Cowboys kind of hanging right there, not getting the player they wanted. Yeah, that, that's a nice little uh, back insight into uh, into the Cowboys' thought for sure. What um, You know, you look at, at 11 picks overall, eight of the 11 on, on defense, and with Dan Quinn coming into the fold here, how do you see Parsons fitting into Dan Quinn's system? Um, is it something that, that we're going to see him in multiple looks and there's, you know, and then, and then you go ahead and you get, uh, you get Golston later on, who's that traditional four, three end and, and Calvin Joseph, out of, Calvin Joseph out of Kentucky at, at corner. Um, is, is Quinn looking to go multiple here or do you, do you think he's got a, something specific in mind for each one of these guys that they've drafted? Yeah, absolutely. Going multiple, at least with Micah Parsons, um, and I think you, you could say that about Golston, who you mentioned, and, and Osa Odigizuwa, who they took at pick 75, their first pick in the third round. All those guys uh, versatile. The thing with Micah Parsons is he's not leaving the field. You know, he is a three-down player now. 
So that means one of Jalen Smith and one of Leighton Vanderash is coming off. Um, you know, nickel is base, you know, five defensive backs. That is base defense these days. So you may start a game with Jalen and Leighton Vanderash and Micah Parsons all on the field, but after one play, you're probably bringing one of those guys off, and it ain't going to be Micah Parsons. But I do think one thing that they like is they like Micah Parsons' ability to be a pass rusher, which he should Penn State. He was a you know defensive end coming out of high school. So they like that, and I think that's the thing that you'll see most. Same thing with Golston. Golston will play defensive end, but Odigi Zuwa can play base end um, on the strong side. He can play defensive tackle. Kind of fill that void that maybe Tyrone for so many years. You know, is he a tackle? Is he an end? Well, he – and I think that's what they kind of want with Dan Quinn. As for Kelvin Joseph, the length matters. They weren't going to take a short cornerback. Uh, that was very clear. You know, Kelvin Joseph, Joseph has really good length, and – so he and Trevon Diggs will be your starting corners on the outside, and then you'll have Anthony Brown and Jordan Lewis competing for the slot cornerback. And you know, the Cowboys really feel like they they got a real a lot of good players. You know, definitely two starters and Parsons and Joseph, but a lot of good players who will be here. You know, for the for the future moving forward. Kevin, you know you you've been involved with this draft and and seem really locked in with it. Who's who's the late round steal here? Who's the who's the one that's going to be able to maybe sign that that second contract with Dallas or or really surprise Cowboys Nation um, out of that out of this twenty twenty one draft? Yeah, on my Twitter account, which is at, at KT Fun Tweets, I put out a tweet over the weekend that was you know Bruce Carter and Sean Lee were supposed to be the linebackers in twenty you know in the early twenty tens, and that just never really worked out because Bruce Carter was hurt a lot, and then Sean Lee got hurt a lot. And then it was Jalen Smith and Leighton Vanderesh. And I think now, still kind of looking for that tandem, I think it's Micah Parsons, and I think it's fourth uh, their fourth-round pick, Jabril Cox. You know, Jabril Cox went at 115, and, you know, I kind of was surprised that he made it to day three. He's not a good run player, um, and I think he knows that. But he's very good in coverage, and he's your run-and-hit linebacker. And Micah Parsons can kind of be your kind of dirty dog in the middle. And I think they like that. And I think that's the guy who you'll see that is around is Jabril Cox. He's got too much athleticism and too much upside. You know, the other player I'll throw out there, he has a checkered past. And in fact, it is a bad rap sheet. If you want to go look it, uh, you can go look it up online. If you don't know the details, he's had domestic abuse issues. But the fifth round pick, Josh Ball, he's got the measurables. He's got the traits that you would want to be a starting longtime tackle. Uh, left side or right side, I really don't think it matters. And with Tyron Smith's injury history is not good, uh, and really current injury status, really. You know, he just he yeah. misses games every year. Josh Ball from Marshall has a chance to be around for a long time, but you just kind of got to be comfortable getting past his off the field stuff. The Cowboys don't care about that stuff. They, I, I kind of do. You know, I kind of was like, yeah, why would you draft this guy? But yeah. they were comfortable taking him. And, you know, he does have the – his tape at Marshall had him. He was at Florida State before he had to leave Florida State because of his problems. And he's, uh, you know, quite frankly, uh, abuse uh, because of that. And – but he's he's got he's got a chance to be around for a while because he does have what you're kind of looking for at tackle. Were you were you impressed by the by the patience of of the management team this year? You know, you find year after year sometimes Jerry Jerry likes to put his imprint on things and and kind of make a stamp and 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 get that big sexy pick. 
this year they kind of did what everybody wanted them to do and, and they stayed home and they drafted defense and and really tried to add talent on that side of the ball. Uh, were you impressed or did you just feel like you knew that was kind of coming? Yeah, I mean, I think I knew it was coming because I think they were I think they were quite frankly embarrassed by last season and they should have been. Uh, it was terrible. Um, you know, the thing I would say is is the guy who creates the synergy in the draft war room, Will McClay. He's the de facto GM. He just doesn't have that title. You know, he's the guy who takes what the scouts are saying, takes what the coaches are saying, takes what Steven and Jerry are saying. He's together and helps create. And I think Will McClay is really good at what he does. And I think, you know, I don't think there's anyone else in the in the world of football who has to do what he does, putting together all these moving parts. I, I disagreed with a couple of picks, and I I always disagree with the Cowboys letting their coaches make picks. I just don't think coaches should be making picks when they're coaching and not, you know, scouting a ton. Although they do watch tape on these guys. Um, you know, they, there's a pick that's very curious to me, and it's um, – Nishan uh, Wright from Oregon State, who went at pick 99. Um, you know, he was Dane Brugler of The Athletic, who's, I think, the best draft, you know, person in the world. He was his 38th-ranked corner. You know, I watched tape on him. He's six foot four, and that's why he was picked. And he was a Dan Quinn pick. He just can't turn. But he's got length, and that's what Dan Quinn wants out of his cornerbacks, length. So, you know, I was kind of like thinking about if you just take Jabril Cox and draft him at 75 instead of 115, I feel way better about their draft than I did. Because I went to bed Friday night after night two going, what yeah. in the world are they doing? And now I ended up going, hey, I kind of understand what they're doing now because they got Jabril Cox and it kind of made everything okay because I could pretend like the other guys they took, they took a little bit later. I love it. I love it. Inside, inside the division, let's take a quick peek uh, there. Who's drafted you like out of out of everybody uh, inside the division? I struggled to see what what Washington was really trying to do. I didn't really feel they added too much. I did like what the Giants did, and the Eagles. Well, the Eagles trying to replenish that D line to me is what their number one goal was with a couple big offensive playmakers up front. But um, who did you like in inside the division that you feel, you know? dramatically improved to give the Cowboys because I believe the Cowboys still have the best roster in this division. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think when you look at this division, if the quarterback doesn't get hurt, the Cowboys win last year, even with that, you know, terrible defense, Yeah. but that gets hurt and that opens the door for everyone. You know, Washington's got a good roster. I just don't know how many games Ryan Fitzpatrick's going to go win for him. I thought their draft was, you know, middle of the pack for Washington. I'll start with the champs, you know, Jamin Davis from Kentucky is a good player. Cosby from, you know, Texas good player. But, you know, maybe, maybe a little early on, on those guys. You know, if Benjamin St. Juice, the cornerback from Minnesota, develops, he's a boomer bust type guy. He is a project. But if he develops into a really good cornerback, it's got a chance to be, you know, a good draft class. You know, looking at the Giants, you know, them trading back and getting a first-round pick next year, I love it. If you're getting yep. the Bears' first-round pick in 2022 in a year where – Andy Dalton and Justin Fields are going to be their quarterbacks. And I, I like Justin Fields, but I just don't know how many games the Bears are going to go win. So I liked what the Giants did, getting two picks. Kadarius Toney is a good weapon that they haven't really had. You know, I know they wanted Sterling Shepard to be their big slot guy, but he's just been banged up so much. Aziz Ojulari was one of my top edge rushers. And, mm-hmm. and they got him in round two and, and because he slid to pick 50 because he had a bit of a knee issue. But if he's healthy, that's going to work out. 
And Aaron Robinson's a really good cornerback from Central Florida that they got in the third round. So I actually liked what the Giants did with their first uh, few picks. I didn't really like what they did on day three. And I thought the Eagles had a heck of a draft. I mean, Devontae Smith is awesome. He's the perfect quarterback for Jalen Hurts. If, that, if that's what they're seriously going to do is try to run Jalen Hurts out there, then Devontae Smith is perfect because he can win in the middle of the field despite being 170 pounds. He plays tough over the middle. Landon Dickerson is, you know, Jason Kelsey all over again. Yeah. Milton Williams, and then in the fifth round, they got uh, Marlon uh, Tui Pelotu, really good defensive tackles, as they always do, continue to add good defensive tackles. Zach McPherson was a good cornerback from Texas Tech that was getting slept on. I couldn't believe he made it to day three. And then one of my favorite players in this entire draft, they took it 150, Kenneth Gainwell, the running back from Memphis. He's so fun. He can play wide receiver. He can play running back for you. You know, I, I liked what Philadelphia did. I, I I thought they knocked the draft out of the park. But I think they had the best draft in the entire football league, to be honest. Wow. Wow. I absolutely love it. Nice little breakdown there for our listeners. We've got uh, one question here before we let you go here, Kev. Um, look Back to the Cowboys roster. What needs are still left out there? I know we're going to enter into phase two, phase three of, of free agency here, and, and you're already hearing the rumors tonight. Um, what else needs to be filled on this roster to really make it push over the top to win that NFC East and potentially get you know deeper into the playoffs than most people expect them to be? Well, I do think they could use a – this doesn't really affect their bottom line uh, in terms of wins and losses, I don't think, but they, they do need to get a backup quarterback. And I don't think they need to run Cooper Rush out there again. I don't think Ben DiNucci needs to run out there again. You know, Garrett Gilbert, maybe they can bring him back. They, they do need to, to get a backup quarterback in here. Um, you know, they they filled up their needs at linebacker. Uh, defensive end, they're going to have a highly competitive defensive end group. And if they can stay healthy for the most part, they don't need a ton of help there, but it wouldn't hurt to have another body on the defensive line. The thing is, I'll tell you, we go to Friday night of the draft, night two, and Cowboys fans have been begging this organization to take the safety position seriously for years. And they just can't seem to get the Cowboys to spend a premium pick. And in the press conference on Friday night, Stephen Jones makes a joke. He goes, and there's that safety position, and then he gets ignored again. <laughs> and everyone's like, no, stop laughing. It's not funny. Here's their situation at safety. Donovan Wilson is their strong safety. He played very well last year. At free safety, it's some mix of DeMonte Kazee, who came from Atlanta, but it's coming off an Achilles. Yep. You know, J1 Curse kind of plays strong and free, but he's, you know, to me, he's not a great player. He's more of a special teams type of guy. You know, they still don't have that free safety. And you're not going to get him if you don't get him in draft. I, I hate to say it. So, you know, you hope that Kazee is on a one-year deal, but you hope he bounces back from an Achilles. But they, they need help at safety. They That position is ignored for too long, and they continue to – and I don't know if ignore is the word, but not invest in that position. And I think that's going to hurt them until – I mean, I don't think you're going to see the Cowboys be a top five or ten defense in this league again until they actually get a good free safety back there. Yeah, it's it's such a especially in the league now, and you look at some of these teams that that got dynamic duels, even from up where we are here. You know, the Buffalo with Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde, and and a yeah. bunch of other squads there. It, you know, it's it is an important position being able to come down into the box and tackle, help out in the run game, and do a bunch of other things. So you're you're bang on there. 
Kev, we're, we're going to let you go. We appreciate your time. Let it, let our listeners know one more time where we can find you, uh, radio, social media, all that stuff. Let us know. Yeah, social media, it's at KT Fun Tweets. Um, on the iHeartRadio app, I'm on the Ben and Skin Show, 2 to 5, uh, 97.1 The Eagle is the station. I also have the Kevin Turner Show podcast on iHeart. Uh, that thing's really making a lot of big, uh, making a lot of waves around the nation. I hear. Um, I'm on the About Them Cowboys podcast on the Athletic, and on the DallasCowboys.com draft show as well. Amazing, Kevin. Thanks for coming on. As we get closer to the season, we'll uh, we'll circle back and uh, and see how the Cowboys see if they add any more pieces here, and how the the schedule in the season is uh, is shaping up for them. Yeah, man. Looking forward to it. Happy. Well, that was a lesson on Dallas Cowboys football. Uh, Kevin sure knows this stuff. Uh, great on-air personality in Dallas. And um, tons of people love to listen to Kevin. So thank you very much for his time and coming on. And let's uh, let's switch over and end this off before we head off the break here with the final three teams in the NFC East. And we'll start with the Fly Eagles Fly, the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm sure most of you saw it out there. Some tension inside the war room in terms of Howie Roseman, Jeffrey Lurie, and Nick Sirianni, and what was happening. Listen, they had nine picks overall. Six out of the nine were on defense. So um, and more of a defensive draft, not a traditional Eagles draft. They went and did what a lot of teams did. They went and got their offensive talent early and then came home and had their meal, their meat and potatoes, in rounds three through seven taken a lot a lot of defense and some uh some real flyer picks out there some picks that inside their facility were not liked were not looked uh, upon well and off the board picks listen here um the philadelphia eagles drafting from texas tech louisiana tech coastal carolina and tulane that's four out of their nine picks from not some of these big schools so um really taking some flyer picks Hopefully, I'm sure they did their homework. They like what they got. But let's start to run through them. Number 10, they trade up with the Dallas Cowboys. We all know that uh, to take Devontae Smith, Heisman winner from Alabama uh, with that 10th pick. Listen, uh, 166 pounds. We know the draft The draft board fell. Is he better than Waddle? Not better than Waddle? Uh, Chase, maybe. Yes, no. The guy can run routes. He's got smooth, silky speed. He's uh, Deshaun Jackson, but can run routes much, much better. He can beat you in the side of a phone booth. So I'm, I like this pick. Will he potentially have problems with press coverage in the NFL? Yeah, uh, he may need to put on a little bit, of, little bit of size to get off that line. But uh, hey, anytime you're taking a, a Heisman winner with the 10th overall pick, I think you're getting pretty good value there. I like the Devontae Smith pick uh, at number 10. This is a pick that fell out of the first round uh, when we first started this draft. Um, after last year's draft, Landon Dickerson was a lock out of Alabama to come. The center out of Alabama to come out in the first round falls all the way to 37. At that position, how could you not take him? I like that pick as well from the Philadelphia Eagles. And then this is where it goes off the board. Uh, Milton Williams, round three. This is where the tension got going out of Louisiana Tech. Small arm, small hand, defensive tackle. Um, a lot of unknown, a lot of 
prognosticators and talent evaluators don't think he can anchor down inside. But listen, it's real clear what what the Eagles tried to do here in the draft. They tried to infuse some youth into that defensive line. You got Fletch Cox inside. You got Brandon Graham on the outside. Javon Hargrave inside. Derek Barnett outside. Hassan Ridgeway. All of those guys have played in the NFL for four or more years. Okay? This is an aging defensive line. Is it still as dominant? At times, yes. Can it be very dominant? 100%. But it's time now to refill and replenish that um, that position. And that's what they went ahead and did. Listen, they you know you, you draft Williams in the third round. Then you, you come out and you, you take a, another nose slash edge with uh, Marlon Tuoputul from USC. Right, and then you take a high motor guy in the sixth round as well out of Coastal Carolina and Taron Jackson. So they're just trying to refill that defensive line to get back to where they were when they had those dominant runs. You got Patrick Johnson in the seventh round as well um, with the 234th overall pick. So they're just trying to get some more youth and find that pass rusher that can potentially take over the likes of Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox. I love the Zeke McPherson uh, pick at cornerback in the fourth round at a Texas Tech. Penn State transfer. Kid's got great ball skills. He's got the pedigree, and he's got the lineage. So uh, I do like that pick at corner in the fourth round. But uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens here um, as they are on the hot seat in Philly, and it hasn't gotten any better with the new coaching regime that's come in. They're going to need a couple of these picks to pan out or else they could be in some uh, serious trouble from uh, from a general manager's perspective, and it could be a short stay for Nick Sirianni in Philadelphia as they do not put up with much there, similar to what Daniel said in Chicago. Let's go down to the trade-down draft, and that is the New York Giants' Dave Gettleman. Hey, he, does, he did the opposite of what Dave Gettleman has always done in his first two, three years drafts. Even in Carolina, he was a heavy hitter, go-get-your-guy, but instead, he trades down in back-to-back rounds, accumulates two firsts now in the 2022 draft, and now has two-thirds as well in the 2022 draft. So he's got some capital to go get a player that he likes in 2022 or stay at home and continue to build talent um, on this this roster. Listen, we all know what the Giants are trying to do here in 2021. All I have to say is Darius Slayton, Kenny Galladay, Sterling Shepard, Dante Pettis, John Ross, and now Kadarius Toney with the 20th overall pick out of Florida. They are going with the Josh Allen approach. They are surrounding this quarterback, Daniel Jones, with talent, with playmakers. Didn't even include Saquon Barkley, who returns. You've got uh, Greg Brightwell, another option at running back with Devontae Booker in the sixth round that they take as well. They are surrounding this kid with as much talent as possible to figure out if he is their franchise quarterback. In the meat and potatoes, rounds two through six, um, as they lost out on uh, some of their, or they gained some some picks in 2022, they take Aziz Ojolari, uh, edge rusher out of Georgia, high talent. Listen, trade down from 42 to 50 to get a pick. You lose out on Liam Eikenberg, which is what Miami took with that 42nd overall pick. I'm okay with it. Um, I'm okay with it. I, I don't mind that at all. Love the the round three pick. Aaron Robinson uh, out of UCF. Complete cornerback. 
He's physical. He's going to get up in the face of some of these receivers on the Cowboys and the Eagles. Um, I love it. And actually now even uh, Washington as well. So I do like that. And then you'd go get a, a long, rangy Ellerson Smith out of Northern Iowa. 35-inch arms, 11-inch hands, absolute monster um, to potentially hit in the fourth round on, on the edge. So uh, real good job by the Giants. I think they did a great job in terms of needs and trading down, in terms of surrounding um, your team with what your, or your quarterback with what you need to be successful. Added another cornerback in Radarius Williams out of Oklahoma. Um, brother of Greedy Williams from Cleveland. Um, how about it? Speedy and greedy, baby. This kid is quick and fast. Uh, it's got some learning to do. Not as not as complete as Greedy was when he came out, but uh, I love it. Great value for the uh, for the sixth round. Really, really high on what the Giants did. And to round out the NFC East, before we send this off to break, we're going to go to the Washington Football Club. Just not sure with Washington uh, in terms of their picks, the timing, the rounds, the value. So let's take a look. You got Jamin Davis, linebacker out of Kentucky, speedy, rangy, sideline to sideline. This kid's got potential to be defensive player, uh, rookie of the year, folks. Don't kid yourself. He's going to be kept clean with that heavy defensive line up front. But I'm just not sure it's the the home run that that the Washington fan base was looking for him. You turn to 51, Sam Cosme, uh, big tackle coming out. Okay, not a sexy pick, but I'll take it. And then to me, you kind of lose the plot. You lose that 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 draft value in terms of the need and talent and what you're looking for. You know, you, you take a Benjamin St. Juice, the cornerback out of mini uh, in the third round, uh, Dimey Brown, wide receiver uh, out of UFC with the 82nd overall pick. Okay, Um you know, to pair with with the receivers that you got on the the roster already. Not sure it's it's the guy to pair with Terry McLaren, but we'll give it a shot. Okay, then you you grab your tight end after after uh, Jordan Reed retires and John Bates out uh, with the one twenty fourth overall pick, and then you then you take two edge rushers in the seventh round project edge rushers and another wide receiver. So I'm just not seeing the home run that Washington was looking for. Uh, I found other teams in the division, which I'll rate higher uh, in the next minute or so here really went after and took advantage of the board as Washington really tried to let the board play to them. And and I don't think it really worked out in their favor. I'm going to give the highest grade to the New York giants. I love what they did here in terms of what they're looking for in terms of the corner in Robinson, Ojalary, the edge, Kadarius, Tony. Some people feel it's a reach at 20, but hey, you've accumulated picks. You're going to be able to add roster uh, talent to the roster moving forward. Ellison Smith, uh, rangy t- uh, D end out of Northern Iowa. I'm going to give the Giants the highest grade. Then I'm going to give the Cowboys the next highest grade. For one time in his life, Jerry Jones was patient, and he took what he needed to pick and that is defense, defense, defense. We touched on that with guest Kevin Turner. I love it. Third, I'm going to go with the Philadelphia Eagles. I don't mind the Dickerson and Smith pick from Bama, 
coming out with the first two, trying to go get that top um, offensive talent. And then replenishing on the defensive line. I'm just not sure it's going to hit here, folks, uh, for Philly. And they may be having to revisit this in higher rounds in future drafts. And then in the basement, I got Washington. Just not seeing the draft value or what they were looking for or what their plan was in terms of moving forward and attacking specific parts of their roster and filling needs through that draft. So that's how I have the NFC East shaken up. And like I said, uh, not going to give anybody a grade here because to talk, sit here and talk in definity um, is just too tough. I'll see you in three years. We can break it down at that point, and we'll probably have a lot different answers. Before we send it off to break, um, this is going to be a three, four week preview of all the divisions in the NFL. Next week, we're going to be looking at the West, AFC, and NFC West in terms of their draft, rosters, needs, all that. Hopefully, we'll have a couple guests on. Make sure you're following along on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Ginger and Dutch One, folks. We're going to send it off the break now. When you get back, we're going to have Dutch on talking the world of golf and the weekly golf report, Ryder Cup, Valspar, Ladies Golf, Mike Weir, and the picks for the Wells Fargo. And we'll catch you on the flip side. All right, listeners, hope you enjoyed a little segment there, and welcome back to Triple G. And uh, I know we said he was on a part-time role here, but this is back-to-back jacks here for the Dutchman. Dutch, uh, come on in here. We're talking the world of golf. How are things? Ah, things are good. I- I'd like to say you forced me into it, but no, I enjoy talking golf. So anytime you want me on, and I enjoy throwing our picks out, uh, lots to talk about right now. And uh, what about our big boy, Mikey Weir? Isn't that cool? Absolutely unbelievable. Great to see him back in the winner's circle. But Dutch, we've been we've been talking about this for a while now. He's playing he's been playing some good golf. He's been working hard at his game. Uh six top tens in the last fourteen events out there on the champions tour. Three out of the last four. T seven, second, and now the victory. Um this is this was not a surprise for those who uh, have been following Mikey along. No, no surprise. And it's amazing what the mental side of golf does when you start to find something and then you, you start to put it all together. And, and, and I'm, you're definitely not knocking the competition on the, uh, on the senior tour. It, it, you know, it, you, you can see that the young guys um, always, when they come on the scene, they, uh, you know, they, they put their impact in there and, and give for Weirzy. It was kind of cool watching um, the old school. I know it was a short event, but watching old school, John Daly uh, going up against Weirzy, it just, Reminded me of 15 years ago, just kind of watching golf uh, when we were a bit younger. It was uh, it was cool to watch, and good for Weirzy. He's he's deserved it. He's worked real hard. You know, he's one of those guys, kind of like a 
you know, when Duvall was on the top of his, his, his game and top of his world after he shot 59, he was number one in the world for a long time there. And then he just disappeared and, and, and couldn't find it. Well, that was Weirsy for a bit. He just couldn't find it. And, you know, he tried to go into different swing, uh, you know, swing techniques, et cetera. And, and lo and behold, you know, he's just found something. And he's, he's, we talked about this uh, back in, in the fall time about his, his coaching and he's just, worked real hard and it's real cool to see uh that he's back on the top of uh, a different world but back on top of the world there it's awesome yeah you know what he, he, you're right he, you're he's back to his bread and butter and that bread and butter is hitting greens and putting well um you know you look at some of the stats from from the from the champions tour in these 14 events you know ninth place in in greens and regulation 73 percent uh 15th in scrambling 15th in putting average and first in one putt percentage or sorry, sixth in one putt percentage. So um, hitting greens and putting the ball well is a good formula to play well in golf. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And uh, it, it's just awesome, awesome to see for uh, for our golf. Because our, our other guys the last few weeks on the on the regular tour have kind of, you know, kind of just, Connor's obviously has been the, the big star right now. But, you know, they're starting to cool off a little bit. So it's nice just to keep, you know, the, the flag up and, and in conversation. Yeah, and, and that's that's a good point, Dutch. Is it's so hard out there on the PJ Tour to play well for long periods of time, and that's why guys like you know Jack and Tiger, and you see all these these made cut statistics and and top ten figures. To me, they mean that much more because you see the likes of Corey Connors, who goes on a great you know six seven week stretch with top uh, top tens left, right, and center, T sevens, T fours, seconds. And, and then it, then it kind of, the wheels kind of fall off for a few weeks and, and you get tired. And to me, that shows that those guys that do that, go ahead and do that and, and perform at a high level for, you know, 21 out of 25 weeks out on the PGA tour, it's just that much more impressive because you're right. It, it, Corey Connors, Mackenzie Hughes said he's playing like a five handicap right now. Like it, it's hard to keep it going for long stretches of time. Yep. It's unreal to watch these guys. And we talked about it last week with Brooks, uh, um, or with Brooke Henderson and, and just where she was. And then, you you know, you ultimately started talking about it. You know, is she the favorite of, of the U.S.? And, you know, flipping to LPGA, I mean, l- look at uh, look at who won this week. Uh, it was another Korean girl, uh, Hyo Ju Kim. And and that's not even one of the three that I had talked about nope. being potentially favorites. I think she's number nine or ten in the world. And it just <laughs> – the talent level is crazy. And, and, and to, to reiterate your point on, on how good – or not how good, how great Tiger and Jack and, and all those 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 huge names and Hogan's and all the guys of the world, even Mickelson in his heyday and stuff. It's so impressive to see these guys. Uh, look at DJ. Where has he been this year, right? I mean, he was yep. top of the world after he wins the Masters, and now he's just plugging along and, and not really. I mean, I picked him last week, and he, he was uh, mediocre at best. He made the cut, but... Um, you're right. It's 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 such a difficult game. This isn't Connor McDavid or Austin Matthews. If we want to get into it on hockey <laughs> goals or or um, you know McDavid scoring you know point after point after point every night, it is hard to do it in golf. No doubt. Yeah, it, it's. It, I always say it's, you've, it's like a roller coaster. Even with with our games, with where we're at, and and some of the single digit handicappers out there who are who are listening along. You got to be willing to, to ride the roller coasters. It's going to be, you know, I always say it. You, you got three weeks on and two weeks off. That's kind of the, the motto that I live by. And you've got to be willing to play through the two weeks, work through the two weeks, and then come back the, out the other side of it. So true. So true. 
Well, let's get to I got I, before we get to the PGA Tour and over to our uh, our picks, which were great again this week. Um, let's slide in here because I looked at that leaderboard on Sunday and I saw a lot of red, white, and blue up on up on that board in the in the top five. And I started to think about September, my favorite golf event, and that is the Ryder Cup. It's back after a reschedule from last year. Dutch, let's talk U.S. Ryder Cup here. A couple names flying up the board, the likes of Keegan and Sam Burns. Who are the locks? Who are the potential surprises? Is there any hope on Tiger and Phil? No hope on Tiger and Phil. I can say that right off the bat. Um, and and Stricker's in a different situation this year because, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the first time that they've switched to the the, the new point system, at least for the Americans, where he's actually going to have six picks. Um, so it's only going to be the top six um, points based on the Ryder Cup format on how they get in. And then That's he's going to have six captain picks. And I'm just wondering if he's going to go old school. So currently right now you're, you're, you've got DJ, Bryson, JT, Xander, Brooks, and Morikawa. They're all in the top six. Now, maybe one or two of them may change Brooks if he, if he stays unhealthy and these other guys right up. But I'm jacked to see if, if Stricker decides not to go with like an old boys club. And I'd like to see him bring in some young guns. And I'm going to just go off here with guys like Berger and Scotty Scheffler and maybe Matt Wolf and, Will Zatoris, Max Homa had another week, and you mentioned Keegan. I'm thinking just bring in the young guns and let's just let's just change it up completely. I don't know. That's kind of what I'd love to see. Yeah, you know what? It's it'll be tough because you look at you look at seven through uh, let's see here thirteen, right? And and you get the names of Patrick Reed. Well, that to me, even though he's outside the top six right now, as much as whether the guys on the team like him or hate him, he's a lock because of because of what he's done uh, at that event in the past. Tony Finau, everybody loves Finau. Um, good force, four ball player, makes tons of birdies. Got to have Finau on there. You've got to have your steady Eddie, steady Eddie Webb Simpson, and to me, Jordan Spieth's a lock right now at eleven too. If he if he if he continues to play any sort of form. Yeah, I have I have Spieth on there as a as a, a guy that could slide in there and, and you know and then you got your Cantley, but I'm just bored of those guys. That's why I wanna that's why I'm saying the other way, Ginger, is, is I'm just bored of you know this the, the the and I know Patrick Reed is controversy here there and he has made his mark in Ryder Cup, but I don't know, maybe it's just time. That's what I keep saying. Maybe it's time just to switch and bring in all these young guns and 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 just go off the wall and, and Stricker just saying, ah, you know what, sorry. Sorry, Cantley. Um, you know, if Xander, if he fell out of the top six, he wouldn't be a choice for me, anyways. Um, if he's in, obviously he's in. But Speed, yeah, Speed, Speed's a fun, uh, a fun Ryder Cup guy. I, I'd like to see him get back in there. Him, him and JT as partners would be a would be a hoot. But you know, I wonder if that's the format that he he bases it off of. Like, oh well, who will play well together? Um, who won't play well together? Oh, this guy does this. This guy does that. Just. Just go with some off-the-wall picks of, of young guns that, that are coming off of being used to playing in, in match play with the way the NCAAs work, et cetera, et cetera. I think that would be a, a, real, cool, um, a real cool idea. What about the European side, though? Because it's a bit different setup than, than, than the PGA on how they get in. What do you think there? I see a ton of names that 
heard of that that might get in. Uh, I'll, and I'll name them in a, in a minute. But what's your thoughts on that side? I think I think they're not going to fix what's not broken with the recent success in there. I know some of these names coming up, uh, flying up the board um, with the with the the European side. You're gonna have you're gonna have your mainstays like Ian Poulter's going to be on that squad. Paul Casey's going to be on that squad. Westwood's going to be on that squad. I, I really, truly, firmly believe that. I think it's going to continue to be a heavy laden English team again with, you know, four to six Englishmen on that squad and then fill the rest in obviously with the big Spaniard in Rom. I uh, can't see Garcia making it. I, I really can't. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're right. He, he could be out there. And, and you know what? I, I want our listeners to know that it's different with, with the European side because they, they base it on both setups. They base it on the, yep. the, the FedEx cup and they base it on the race to Dubai. So, so unlike, unlike captain Stricker, Captain Harrington, he only gets three wildcard picks. I, I and I, I could be wrong on that, but he only gets there's there's nine that automatically get in, and and you start looking at some of these guys, like you're looking at Victor Perez, Mateus Schaub, Bernard Weisberger. I mean, there's a few guys that that are weird. I'd like to see him going sticking along the American side. I'd like to see him throw in um, Hovland. He's currently 17th on that list, and he's far down. Um, I guarantee you, uh, Harrington's taking like a polter over a hot one. I get it, but I'd like to see like him get in there. Hopefully, he can move his way up the ladder just so that he automatic. It's an automatic berth. But um, in any event, it's it's going to be really really cool. Uh, it, but there will be some weird names that a lot of the the non you know non watcher all the time of golf. There's going to be some different names on that European uh, squad this year, 100. percent Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Um, I had one quick question for him. If Stricker does go with all of these names, some of the Wolves and Zalatoris and Homas and Sheffleys, like you talked about, maybe even Sam Burns in there, do you see any potential at all of him throwing in just as a as a as a you know an old, an old boy in there, like a Stuart Sink or a Matty Kuchar currently sitting at uh, at twenty five, twenty six in the in the U.S. standings. I hope not. That's that's exactly what I'm talking about. I hope not. Um, not to say that they may or may not deserve it, but you know what? I think it's it's time to give some other guys a chance, and it really will come down to those last, you know, two months of of action on the tour. Who's playing hot, and and he'll reserve it, or maybe maybe not. Maybe he's already got his picks made. Maybe he's already said, "Hey, this is who I'm taking." I really don't care. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. But you know, Stricker's been around the block and back. He's been involved with captaincy, assistant captain. He's played in many. So they're all going to have that same format and same theory. I just wish it would be a, a little bit different. That's all. Either way, it's going to be a great event. I know that for sure. One that's on my bucket list, and I'm sure it's on yours down the Absolutely. road. And uh, we'll we'll get there. Let's switch over to uh, the Valspar now, uh, Dutch. We had another good week couple uh we didn't we didn't end up cashing on our original uh original picks but we were right there louis Oost, hazeman the t8 Joe jason kokrak t13 sunjay m inside the uh the top 30 another solid week my 225 to 1 graham mcdowell pick did not pay off he started off pretty good for a minute i was like oh boy what where did ginger pull this one out from and then yeah he just kind of faded into the sunset but but yeah, you know two, good two good for, two good under for, through good. six two yeah. under through six i was I, w- I had the text message out there ready for you. <laughs> well, 
well, there's a lot of golf balls still to be played, and yeah. clearly that clearly that was the case. But but so much for that golf course being difficult. We talked about it, and and you know what? It, it, if you do look at the history on that, I think that might have been the lowest ever score. But minus seventeen, it's just amazing around there. And I know they changed the setup a little bit. And it was dry. Um, not that that really means much because they, they hit it a country mile anyways. Um, and around there, there's there's lots of targets. So that might not have been a big scenario. But good for Sam Burns. You know, it was a matter of time um, before he won. He's had some close, uh, close calls. And he's another young up-and-comer that finally – you know, has just made his mark there, and uh, he pulled away on Sunday. I, 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 you messaged me in the morning, and I thought, uh, I thought Keegan has been playing the best golf uh, out of the the three guys that were in the hunt there, and I, I said Keegan was going to win, and clearly I was wrong. So good for, uh, good for Burnsy there. It was a, it was a nice win, and you're going to see his face uh, around for a long, long time. Well, you're you're right. Not not a lot of people had Burns. We had it up on our uh, Instagram there. We had uh, Keegan Burns, Homa, and the field. And we had about 20, 25 people respond back to it. And only one person had Sam Burns. Nice. Yeah. So Quail Hollow, we're moving down to Charlotte now. Wells Fargo, a course that me and you have tried to uh, get on ourselves, but to no avail. Um, This is a mainstay golf course on the PGA Tour. Um, Unbelievable track. Host of the 2022 President's Cup. It's got 300 members. Dutch, if you've got a quick $115,000 for me, I'll join tomorrow. But I don't wow. think that's happening. Yeah, but you know what? You pick, we ended up playing an awesome golf course down there at TPC Piper's, uh, Piper's Glen, correct? Yeah, Piper's Glen, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, look that one up. The senior tour play there is a great track. But yeah, Quail Hollow, like you said, big mainstay. Uh, it's a it's a great track, actually. And, and, and you can tell it's a great track because if you look at the field, and I know what's coming up. We've got a, we got a major championship coming up shortly, but some, some big, huge names in the field this week. Uh, it, it's it's going to be a, a good, good test. And, you know, they didn't have it last year, right? So I think it was Max Homa who won uh, the last event there, I think, in 19. So it, it'll be good. It'll be good to see. Yeah, no doubt. And it's a type of golf course that um... – you know, horses for courses. They, the, the big boys come out to play here. Not only, like you said, is the field good, but the boys show up when they come to play here. And uh, historically, um, there's not too many names that you don't recognize that end up taking home the trophies at, uh, at Quail Hollow. Uh, couldn't agree more. Um, that's why you're going to laugh at my picks. Um, folks who are listening, don't don't spend a lot of uh um shackles on this but but i i i just went deep i kind of did what you did last uh, week i kind of went deep um on my picks didn't take any of those big you know seven eight nine names in there um so it'll be interesting i can't wait to hear what you've got uh what picks you've got because i got some off the wall picks well I'll, I'll start first then because i i went the other way i took i took the cream rising to the top i took some hometown cooking um i'm gonna start with my big gun and that's my theme hometown cooking baby uh 2010 he won here uh 2014 he was t8 2015 he won at quail hollow 16 t4 18 t16 19 t8 18 to 1 9 to 1 on the each way i know he's not playing good golf but if there's ever a time that he's going to play well on a golf course it'll be at quail hollow that's Rory McIlroy as my big gun of the week. Wow. I, wow. 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 <laughs> He's been nowhere. Well, interesting. 
you're right. It's, he, he dominates there, and uh, you're right. Maybe this is a, a sign for him, and that's why he took a couple weeks off maybe to prepare. My rock steady pick of the week, Raleigh, North Carolina, hometown boy, 22 to 1. We're going to have his caddy, Paul Tesori, on this podcast in the coming weeks ahead here. T9 at RBC, quietly tied for 12th at the Masters. T6 at the WGC uh, a couple months back. You know what? T2 in uh, 2015 at this event, tied 21st in 18. T18 in 2019. Webb Simpson, rock steady pick. I knew you were going the there. Yeah, I almost went with Webby this week, too. Uh, that's a great pick. And my long shot of the week, 140 to 1. He's been solid in this event the last two years. Um, you know what? Other than the, the final round debacle last week at uh, Valspar with the with the 80 on the board, he had three pretty solid rounds. He was, I believe, two under going into the final day um, and could have moved up the board a little bit. So I see three good rounds last week, and I see some good form at this event in 2018 at T34 and 2019 at T8. 140 to 1. I'm going Keith Mitchell. That's my <laughs> long shot pick of the week. Yeah, come on. That's exactly who I got. I here if I wrote right I, I wrote right down just to have a feeling he's had success here in the past. T eight in 2019. He's had a couple decent starts in the last month. He slipped a bit last week, and that was none other than Keith Mitchell. So <laughs> there goes my thunder. For my underdog of the week and Keith Mitchell, man, oh, man, that is hilarious that we keep picking the same oddball guy out of the blue, out of all the guys in the field, and I took the same guy. Isn't that hilarious? Yeah. Oh well, that's easy. That's my that's my uh, my uh, my my massive underdog of the week, which was Keith Mitchell. Um, my my big gun of the week is is not a crazy big gun. Um, Nineteen to one. You know, I, I we talked about him earlier with uh, the European Ryder Cup. I, I love the odds for this kid. Since the Players Championship, he's been working real hard to get back into the winner's circle. You know, most recently last uh, or this past week, he was quietly and he had an amazing Sunday. He finished T third. And uh, he was also T21 back at the Masters, and that's Victor Hovland. I, I think he's he's in fine form right now, and uh, he could uh, he could take take this one down with uh, with how hard he's been working to get himself ready for the next upcoming major. Year. I like it. And my uh, my kind of mid pack guy, um, I've never picked him before. Uh, he's a former major winner. I think you've had him on this uh, this docket before. He's at 47 to one. And this guy's been really solid his last five starts. He he was T21 at the Masters. He's had a couple top 10s. His most recent was T9 back at the Heritage, and he's had a couple weeks off. He's just a guy that, that doesn't really have a care in the world when he's out there. He's just that, you know, he's kind of like the um, the Ernie Els of the world, uh, the way I look at it. And that's the big Irishman, Shane Lowry. Love it. So those are my picks. Uh, again, take them, some of them with a grain of salt, uh, especially with our Keith Mitchell, but you just never know. I mean, hey, the guy's won on tour and, and he's uh, he's had some success. So it'd be interesting to see for sure. But um, I, your Rory McIlroy picks, very intriguing. I, I looked at all of his, his accolades on, wh- on how well he's done there. Uh, I, I And I hope he does find his game, Ginger. I just, uh, for some reason, I just think that he's just, He's he's got a, a major mental block there, and uh, and I hope he overcomes it because golf is better with him in the game and him him uh, challenging. It would be nice to see one of these major events coming up where you know you have all of those guys with with JT and Rory and 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 
Spieth and Rom and everybody and, and DJ, you have those guys in there and then all the young bucks in there. Um, golf's in a good state right now. It's in a good state. Let's get Rory back into it. Dutch, I'm telling you right now, you, you just talked about it there. That event is the U.S. Open at Torrey Pines, a golf course everybody knows. You're going to see a, a, a great field there and the big boys will be coming out to play. Great little segue. We're going to have a back-to-back U.S. Open previews, men's and ladies, coming up in the next few weeks. So uh, make sure you're tuning in on that golf side. Make sure you're following us along on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at Triple G, Ginger's Gridiron and Golf Podcast. Dutch, thanks for joining me on back-to-back weeks. I know you're uh, you're back for one more week, and then you got a week off, so we're looking forward to that. My pleasure. And, and uh, thanks for tuning in to Triple G. Thank you.